Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Barbara Howard to the podcast this week. Barbara is the author of two cozy mystery series, Finding Home and The Glover City Files. Her stories feature female amateur sleuth, diverse characters, and a dash of romance. She is a first-generation tech geek turned master gardener. She returned to her Midwestern hometown after an extensive career as a Department of Defense project manager at the Pentagon and serves most of her time treasure hunting, spoiling her fur babies, growing veggies, and plotting whodunits. Her membership affiliations include Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, Great Lakes Fiction Writers, Crime Writers of Color, and Gamma Xi Phi. Maybe I should make a New Year's resolution to learn the Greek alphabet. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Barbara. Thank you so much, Julie. It's an honor to be here. Let's, I'm going to start where I always start in these conversations. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Oh my goodness. Um, There are two answers to that. I'm going to, I'm going to shortcut early in my elementary school years. And uh, my teacher encouraged me and my mom got me involved in a uh, Fairmont Creative Arts Center here in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. And I was 14 years old among all of these adults. I had no idea what I was doing Mm -hmm. there. And I would submit my work. I didn't know what a critique group was. I had no language of what was happening. Um, And I would get my work back and it would be just red ink everywhere. And this happened for like three weeks. And I finally told my mom, I can't do this anymore. And she took me there. and She said, I'm taking her out. She's so discouraged. And the instructor said, I have to meet with you. And so all three of us sat down on our can take you to the stage where we were sitting this moment. And I said, I don't think that I'm any good. He said, I'm not critiquing you because you're not good. I'm critiquing you because you are good and you must keep writing. And so from that moment on, I said, I have to do this. So fast forward (laughs) um, to uh, 2020 when the pandemic hit. And I said, if I'm ever going to do this, it has to be now. And so that's when I started doing it like full time. This is what I do. So. During those intervening years, did you work on craft? Was this something that, you know, did you keep writing, but it hadn't really, you know, come up with a plan? What what part of, what part did writing play in your life? When that happened, my mom gave me a mentor. She said, you need to go to Sarah Lawrence. She was pushing all the buttons, pulling all the strings. And then I had a talk with my father. And he said, you need to be able to support yourself in this real world. And so I became I went to a school near home and I was a political science major because I was going to change the world. 
and uh, moved to D.C. and got involved with information technology because the world said, no, nah, we're good. We like who we are. We, you know, you don't need yeah. to change. You know, <laughs> Just find your place and we're all going to be fine. So off and on, I would I would dabble in it, I'll say. I took some some classes through Gotham Writers Workshop mm-hmm. out of New York. And when I ended up moving back to my hometown, I took some more online courses and I I, I built this crazy library of poisons and weapons and all the weird things that crime fiction authors have in their libraries. <laughs> and um, and I started like writing little bits and pieces of stories and printed them out and boxed them away. You know, never did anything with them. And I also would mention that even though my father said you need to be able to support yourself, they also got me a subscription of Ellery Queen magazine. Mm. So when a lot of girls grew up with Nancy Drew and all that sort of thing. That's where, you know, so that's where I, I gravitated toward those types of stories. And so I always had that around and I had bits and pieces of manuscripts around, but I didn't take it in, you know, take it and put it all together into a book until 2020. And was it always crime fiction for you or, or were you interested in other genres as well? It was always crime fiction, Julie. <laughs> it always was. Um, and, you know, going back to my elementary school years when they get, <laughs> I'm laughing because um, my English teacher gave us an assignment to write a little, a little story, a little quick little story. And because I liked Edgar Allan Poe, you know, they gave us all the classics, you know, Gulliver Travels, you know, Animal Farm, all that stuff. And I always gravitated more toward that because I had a sense of setting in place that's always so important to me. And I just mm-hmm. felt I could feel the fog rolling in, you know, all of that. And so when she gave us this assignment, I wrote a little short story on a couple of pages in composition, my little composition notebook of a gardener going into a greenhouse in a geranium, killing it with a killing him with a trout. And she read this story and she called my parents just to make sure everything was okay at home. And they said, no, this, this is just the type of stories that she reads. She reads these, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, stories or Ellery Queen. And so that's that's where she's getting her inspiration. Everything is fine here. So yeah, it's always been crime fiction. <laughs> well, that sounds like a pretty great book to me, but <laughs> um, so as you're building 2020, you say now's the time. I do think that 2020 was a year for so many people that they mm-hmm. reevaluated thought, if not now, when? Like, you know, this is yeah. this is a time. Um what how did you how did you shift into that gear? Um, from, you know, having written and, and, you know, having talent, but then writing a book, which is a, which is a lift. I mean, it's a lot to do. You know, it is, and then it isn't, you know, when you're overtaken with an idea, it's almost like you're so obsessed with it that it has its own momentum. Right. And so it's just waiting for you to press the accelerator and then it just, the gas just kicks in. Right. And so I think once I made the decision, 2020 is also the year where I was sewing 111 face masks. I was doing like all the things So like the adrenaline was pumping in 2020. Like, how do we uh, 
shift with what's going on in the world. So I think that because there was so much momentum going in making a shift in your life, that once I said, I'm going to do this, then, you know, the energy and everything was there to do it. Um, The ideas, again, I think David Baldacci says writers have a different lens in the world. So no matter where we are, we always have ideas like, what if this DoorDash driver is really not, you know, maybe the barista put a message on this, you know, so, and they're delivering the secret message. Like, so there's always that there, you know, there's always a spark. And I think it was just waiting for me to say, okay, now. And so I jumped in. <laughs> so talk to me about those ideas and, and writing that first, because you have two series. So, so did they both come in? What did one start? And then, you know, tell me about how that all evolved. The first series, I, I <laughs> the idea came. Um, I was looking at the uh, a home that one of our neighbors, and I remembered from my childhood, my the babysitter lived on the third floor apartment of this this home, and I was also involved in community gardening here, and was mentoring around and whatnot. And I thought, and it was also during a time when there was a lot of social unrest. And I wanted to have a good cop. I always want to have a happy ending. One thing I will guarantee in my codes is there will be a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, the idea came that the woman in the story was going to befriend this this, this disgruntled older woman who had a cat. <laughs> Um, and somehow there would be a teenager involved and they needed to clear his name. And so I think it was just piecing together locations where I, where I happened to be people that I had met little bits and pieces. And that's kind of how the stories come there. It's not a specific thing. It's a patchwork of people that I've met places that I've been. And I just kind of I'm a quilter. So we take little bits and pieces and sew them together. And, yeah. and that's where that's kind of where the story started. Um, the second series, there was there was a news report. This is going to make no sense at all, except in the writing community. Um, there was a news report where a gentleman had walked into a Walmart here in my city, picked up a suitcase walked into the grocery section, filled it with meat, steaks, ribs, all that stuff, and walked out of the store with it. And I thought, this is crazy. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Something really good. (laughs) So I jotted that down and and I wanted to put that somewhere in a story. And so I found, um, Amira Cooper, you know, to to be the person that would discover this guy with the suitcase. Right. So so the bits and pieces of the story kind of come from all over the place. And somehow they get into this stew that becomes an actual book. And and then and my stories are very character driven. And so they lend to, you know, a series. So like what happens to um, the first series, the young man was 14, 14 year old young boy. And the readers were asking me, whatever happened to Milo? And I said, oh my gosh, I have to give me more pages, you know? <laughs> so, so here's book three, here's what happens to Milo, you know? So, um, so that's kind of where it comes from. 
you so you've mentioned characters and setting and for you setting is a is a character i mean it's it's yeah. you know your sense of place and everything else did you think that do you think that moving back to your hometown sort of unleashed creativity in a way i think i think that in my early years we would my mom in particular kept us close to our extended family and they did not live here where mm-hmm. I grew They lived in other small towns around. So my settings are typically small towns. Um, and I remember her putting us in the backseat of the car. We would be half asleep and then we would rumble down the road to the country, to these little small towns. And I remember the fog over the railroad tracks. I remember the Ohio River. I remember the smell of coal that I things that I would know where we were based on how it felt. And when the back tires would sink into a gravel road, I knew we were on the road where my grandparents lived. So like all those senses from my childhood gave me a sense of what to expect, who I would be with, you know, all the joy of the childhood and, uh, you know, the childhood relationships of all of my cousins growing up. And who I still tap in whenever I have a question and I need an expert on a type of a gun or a type of a fish or, a type, you know, <laughs> so um, so this wonderful extended family that I have and all the travels that we spent together going on vacations or whatever. So I think that's what I draw on because those really sunk into my uh, my being as a child. And then as an adult, we all still connect around those things. So. That and the types of stories that I read as a child that put me in place. So that's Mm -hmm. why I think for me, it's like, that's what, if someone reads one of my stories, I want them to know. Someone wrote me a a DM on Instagram and said, and they took a snapshot and they said, I'm reading this section right now and I'm so emotional. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Thank you. (laughs) I'm reading this and I'm crying. I'm so glad you're crying. So yeah, that's that's it for me. You know, cozies I think are often dismissed by folks as uh, as not being serious or or for a variety of reasons. Um, but they they're about they do promise a happily ever after of sorts. Justice will prevail. But they're also um, can talk about social justice and and situations and you know and tackle serious issues and i think that the people don't always understand that cozies um cozies uh, there's a variety of them um and and some of them are you know a little bit uh i'm not going to say darker but but you know more grounded in life and yeah. others are completely you know whimsical with fairies and booklet, you know, and all that. So where are you on the spectrum of cozies? I think I am grounded in more of a reality truth. <laughs> you know, um, I'm grounded more there, but I always want to put in there someone who is relatable. Um, mm-hmm. Not someone that is like, I'm here, like I said, to change the world and you're going to watch me do it in this story. Um, I want to place this likable, a uh, vulnerable person in a situation where people, anyone can relate to her. Like anyone mm-hmm. can relate to Tracy. Anyone can relate to Amira. 
in my new series, Claire is an older woman who's in a nursing home. And when I bring her out of the nursing home, then you get to see a little bit about her past and why she mm-hmm. is the way she is and why her uh, eccentric behavior is actually her superpower. You know, so I want people to see the depth of what these characters uh, bring mm-hmm. and put them in situations where they have to face ageism or they have to face gentrification. And but you're seeing it through the humanity of the person in the story. Mm-hmm. So I don't like, you know, the graphic violence and, and all of the things that that, you know, that you find out that other people find entertaining. Um, but I don't like putting that. I think that um, I want a soft place for people to land mm-hmm. in the story, even though this person is walking through a very difficult truth. And and I think there's room for all of that in mm-hmm. Coast. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, so ta- when you're writing a series, you know, your protagonist is important, but your secondary characters, as you said, they take on a life of their own or, or you know, keep showing up in unexpected ways so that they demand more screen time. <laughs> so if you're now, you said that you're starting a third series. So you've got all of these characters and these secondary characters. Do you cross over at all in your books? I do not. Um, what I did at the end of the first series is because um, not to plug this, but through um, the organization Crime Writers of Color, a, a group, a collection of these authors is not an official publication of the organization, but or of the group. But they they put together an anthology, Festive Mayhem, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the part of the second and the third, and now the fourth one that's coming out next year. Um, and so, what I did in those two short stories is I wrapped a bow around the end of, okay, we're done with these guys. They're now grown and moved on. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I use those two short stories to be able to say, it's a wrap on these guys. And then I was able to move on to a totally different town um, with a totally different group of people. And and that's, I, I don't want to, I know there are people that write series that go on for 20, 30 <laughs> different books. That would not be me. So I, I, I wanted to get out of Kieferton and now mm-hmm. I'm out of Clover City. So <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> and do you make up your your you base them on a real place, but do you make up towns and and everything else? I do. I make up everything. And there again bits and pieces of places where I've lived or where I've traveled. And the reason why I do that is because. I get distracted if I'm reading a book and it's located somewhere that I know well. And that happened with an author who who wrote a book, very popular, award-winning, and they made it into a movie. And I started reading. I said, where is this now? Where did I don't know? Why is this? You know, so I'm just too easily distracted by that. So I don't write to real places because I think that it's, when I moved back to my hometown, I didn't recognize anything. They had right. read everywhere. <laughs> and my sister would say, do you know where you are now? And I'd say, no. And she said, remember when dad used to take us here and he would go to the floors? And said, this is the floor shop. You know, so that's that's another reason. Like these places don't remain stagnant. No. And so I make up everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as we have... It, you know, we don't stop learning craft 
um, right. as and we keep developing. Have you? How have you continued to learn craft and series and everything else in these past uh, few years as you've been diving into this full time? I tell you, that has been part of the joy. I know there are people that that like writing is a chore. They hate writing, but they love having a finished product. I love the writing process. I love creating it and I'd love editing. I love everything about it. And so um, organizations, I, you know, not because you're Julie, but I'm going <laughs> to sisters in crime is just top tier, top notch. Every time I need anything that, um, that I have questions about, or I want to make sure that I get something right, I can find a resource somewhere. Or I can find a person somewhere connected in the community that can help me with that. And there needs to be a place, <laughs> and I thank you for it, uh, Sisters in Crime, where you can go in and ask questions about, if I use this poison, will they die an agonizing death or will it be immediate? <laughs> like there has to be a place where you can safely ask these questions, you know, or not have Homeland Security show up. So <laughs> there has to be a place for that. And between these professional organizations that provide like mystery writers of you know of america and, and whatnot where you can get those types of resources plus i follow um early on um km wyland and james scott bell you know certain ones that i trust to give excellent advice um mm -hmm. and get you through to a polished finished product is it perfect no uh, what i told my nephew was once i put something out there I can either sit back and say, I could have done all of these things differently. I could have done all of these things better. I should have known better, blah, blah, blah. Or I can say, the next one will be better. And so mm -hmm. that's why I just continue to work, work at it and continue to find the resources that I need. But that has been the key. And there's a local organization here in Cleveland, Literary Cleveland, where we do a read like a writer and also Sync has a read like a writer as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also very helpful. Yeah, because you, when you read a book, especially a book, well, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say a book you love, but I think sometimes reading like a writer a book you didn't like is helpful too. It's like, why, why didn't I, why didn't this book work for me? <laughs> like, you know, what's going on? But it's, it's, uh, um, it's a different skill set, uh, you know, and I think that writers, what I find sometimes is reading a book and not being a writer, just going along with the joy of the words is such a gift because I'm always thinking about how do they do that? What's going on? How, you know, why did they use that point of view? Do you find that that's true as well? Like you, it's hard to shut off the writer brain. I think when, when I started taking the read like a writer here out of the local group, if they're short stories every month, so you can get through them very quickly. But because of that, every word counts, like every yeah. single word. Every single count. word. And that's what, and again, all, I think only those in the writing community will get that. Like you can read a sentence and it can take your breath away. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, the word choice here was perfect. Yeah. Like that was just, that was perfection. That, that one sentence put me right in the place. I know exactly who this character is. I, you know, I know what they're thinking. I know where they are. You're like, just one sentence can do that. And so, yes, I think that that has been key. Now for the longer pieces with um, Sisters in Crimes, uh, Read Like a Writer, you're really looking at it from crime fiction. 
only, you know, so do you know what you're looking for when you're reading through those stories where with these shorts, we're doing multiple genres, things that I don't read horror. I don't read fantasy, but he's, you know, he gives us these shorts that are, you know, in those genres that I don't normally read. And so I'm looking at it differently. You know, mm-hmm. I'm picking up different types of things from those types of stories. So yeah, I would agree with you. Definitely. And you mentioned that you've, you've, published short stories as well you know it's not a given that people who write novels can write short stories and vice versa it, as you said it's a it's a different skill set and the economy of a short story it's not just a shorter novel it's 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 a it's a completely different skill set did you find that challenging when you yeah. set out to write a short story <laughs> yes <laughs> and um I, I have an idea for this next Best of Mayhem 4, and I was looking at it last night, Julie, and I said, how am I going to cut this to 8,000? Like, I haven't written one word of it yet, yeah. but like, is this an idea that can be that short? You know, can yes. I make another 8,000 words? Is that possible? And so for each time, I ended up having to cut, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And, um, but that again... Um, pushes you, you know, to evolve and and to see to see words differently. Like you said, the economy the economy of words, and so it forces you to do that. And and I think that exercise in itself, besides that having that community, the camaraderie of collaborating on a, on a project, um, that makes you better. You know, that forces things into your like. I cannot. I love this, but you have to go. You <laughs> know, like I love you, Mister <laughs> Paragraph, but. I have to break up with you today. So you can... <laughs> I'll keep you in a folder. Maybe you'll show up again. <laughs> um, and for those uh, folks listening, the Festive Mayhem uh, books, tell me if I'm remembering this correctly. I think they're only available for a short period of time. Is that true? They are. They're they're limited edition for like one year. Um and they have different themes. And this one that's coming for next year is going to be winter holiday themes. And um, there is a an anthology that's out now that's not um, not part of the festive mayhem that I was I participated in. That's called Malice, Matrimony, and Murder, and it's a wedding themed anthology. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> And that's out until, I think, August of 2024. So it's available in ebook and in paperback. And there are 25 of us involved with that one. And so they are limited edition, but um, you can grab a copy of that until the end of 2020, until the fall of 2024. And that's when the new Festive Mayhem will come out. And it'll be a year for that one as well. And um, in those uh, books, it's all different genres. Is that true? For the festive mayhems? For festive mayhems, they're all different. They're all crime, but yeah. some of them are cozy, some of them are suspense, some of them are detective. Yeah. 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 PIs and all different kinds of stuff. It's a it's a they're wonderful series of books and, and it's it, because they are only available for a short period of time. You know, it's worth making sure it's on your Kindle. Um, so and you I know. Just, again, not to shameless plug, but this one, the wedding theme one has an overarching meta mystery 
So oh. you can read through all 25 stories and find the clue and then put the clue together to solve the meta mystery, the overall mystery. Yes. Oh. So it's amazing. That was fun. <laughs> I, I would imagine it's fun, but my heavens, that's a lot to pull off <laughs> for editors. And, yeah. So were you told, okay, Barbara, in your story, you've got to, you've got to mention this somewhere <laughs> um, as part of the meta mystery. Like, were you all given an assignment as to like, no. And I wasn't sure how that was going to work, which again, is kind of like back in the day when you had Cracker Jack and you open a box, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you're just like, yay. So I signed up to this. I want to do it. And I had no idea. So the the way it fleshed out was there had to be a business card. I don't want to give away too much, but in this case, like all you have to do is make sure you put a biz a card of some type, and then put a little um, notation in your manuscript when you submit it, so that the editor will know where to find. They can do just just do a find and replace, and drop the clue. And so the only thing I had to do was. In my case, the investigator was talking to one of the suspects and their business card accidentally fell on the ground and he picked it up to hand it to him. And there's that's where you're going to find the clue. So then once I pass it off to the editor, my hands were clean. I was like, I'm done. I have no idea how this is all going to come together, (laughs) but I trust you. That's awesome. That's fun. It's 25 people too. That's an amazing anthology. Um, I will put a link to it in in the show notes for this. Thank you. So let's talk about, you know, your writing and, you know, started young, always thought about it, 2020, now's the time. You you write (laughs) and and you're prolific because you've been writing a lot. Tell me about your publishing journey. Because that's not the same skill set um, as writing. And I'm indie. I'm a proud indie. Um, that is that is one of the things that there's a lot of controversy around the business side of the book business and what you get paid. What are you? You know, what are the contracts? Do you need an agent? Should you do this? Should you do that? And so forth and so on. And for me. Again, you know, at this stage of my life, I was like, no, I think I want to keep my hands on all of it right now. Mm-hmm. And I be the one in control of every bit of it. Now, someone else will say, that's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God. Just write the book and hand it off. And I'm not that person. And so for me, being an indie is what works for me and the way my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather, if I know what I want it to look like, I'd rather just go ahead and do it. And then deal with the consequences. I read reviews. There are people say don't read reviews. They're for readers. I well, I read them, you know, so I'm a different animal when it comes to this whole thing. So I enjoy the indie process. Um, learning the mechanics of it didn't take a lot for me because IT is my background. So I was say, yeah. Yeah. So to, to learn the platforms, to figure out how to put up a website and all that sort of thing, wasn't that complicated for me. Um, but the marketing piece, <laughs> the promotion parts of it, um, again, that's a different mindset. And when it's something that's so close to your heart and you're saying, please buy my book, you know, that's <laughs> you would rather someone else do the shameless plugs, you know, but 
that's just part of it. And you just have to learn how to, to step up and speak up for yourself. So um, I, I got my, again, it depends on your objective. My first initial goal was I want my books in libraries. Now, someone else would say, I want to hit all these lists. I want a banner mm-hmm. on Amazon, all that sort of thing. For me, it wasn't that. For me, it was like, I just want to make sure my books land, my books land in the library because that's where I learned to love reading. You know, mm-hmm. library. I put a librarian in my story as a hero because the librarian to me was important. So that was my focus, making sure that I put my books where libraries could pick them up on overdrive and and baker and taylor and so forth and so that's where i focus and then after that for this series i'm like i want to make sure my books get in bookstores and so now i'm working through um local events and through local bookstores and also pop-up bookstores and i got my first consignment payment and i was like oh my gosh i got paid you know so that was fun you know so learning the contracts and how to interact with booksellers was the second phase for me. Mm-hmm. So depending on your objective, like that's what was important to me. So being a number one on Amazon was never like the main focus for me. And that's fine for those who, you know, aspire to that. Yeah. Mine was look for your community and and plant your flag where your community is so that I can get the DMs where people are saying, I was in the bar, I was in the barbershop with them and it felt so familiar to me. I'm like, I love that. That's perfect. You know, so yeah, yeah, that's that's my publishing process. Well, you mentioned uh, a couple of things that I think are important to highlight um, for for listeners. Uh, you know, next year Sisters in Crime is going is planning a series of webinars for indie authors because you are your own business. You're your own publisher. And, and, you know, the marketing part's hard for everybody, but the indie publishing model and figuring out distribution, what you just talked about as far as getting into libraries and to booksellers is takes effort that pays off if that's one of your objectives, but it doesn't just happen. You need to make that happen. Right. And I I don't know where I heard this piece of advice, but it was start local, you know, yeah. start local, establish those relationships in a local setting. And, and that one little, you know, a couple of words was enough for me to go like, oh, I got it. I can do it. Now I have the confidence. I know where to start. You know, as long as you can take that first step, then you can figure your way the rest of the way. Um, I was talking to my nephew and I said, you know, I'm the type I would jump out of the plane and learn how to fly on the way down. I do not recommend it. (laughs) Kids do not try this at home. But I have that personality type that, okay, I know the first step. Let me go ahead and like start to talk to look. And the funny thing is, the more you interact with other authors or, or creatives, whether they're poets, you know, spoken word artists, they're like, hey, did you know so and so is having an event? Oh, did you know so-and-so? This is how, and you can ask someone, like I asked a, a local author, how did you get in the bookstores here? And he said, here, this is, I had luck here, here, and here, but not so much luck here, here, and here. I'd be happy to go with you. You know, so yeah. having that type of support is very, very helpful. And being part of a local group, like, you know, uh, different chapters of Sync or or Mystery Writers of America or different one, Great Lakes Fiction Writers and so forth. Having that network of people 
um, mm-hmm. helps a lot with that because you can feed, you know, that energy, you feed off of one another, but you definitely are your own business. You have to figure out, you know, what your author platform is going to look like, how I have a monthly newsletter. I put it out once the first day of each month. Um, I wanted that to be, and what do you want that to look like? Mm-hmm. You know, some fill their newsletters with book recommendations and, you know, industry news. And, and mine is like, hey, it snowed here today. Here's a picture, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have to decide like, how much of yourself do you want to give away? How much of your personal life do you want to put out there? How how much visibility do you want? Um, which social media platforms work best for you? Not all of them mm-hmm. are are conducive to building a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and all of those things. So you kind of have to sit down and decide like how much time you have. Uh, what part of this works for you that you can easily do without it being too much of a, a, a burden on your shoulders? Because you still have to have time to write, you know, right. so th- there's a lot to sit down and think about ahead of time if you want to be an indie um, or if, if that's your if that's where you want to start anyway. But definitely sit down and pl- plot. Out. I was going to say plot because I'm a plotter. Plot out your path on on the business side of it. That's really important. And as you're getting your books ready to go as an indie author, uh, again, you're your own publisher. So you need to the copy edits and the line edits and the proofing and everything else. How did you sort of build in that infrastructure for yourself? The fun thing was during the, the madness of the pandemic, there was a literary agent who posted out on Twitter, which is now X, which is I divorced. So at the time he put out there, hey, I'm going to do a free session. Ask me anything. And I thought, what a nice guy. I don't he he does uh, young adult, I, which I don't write. But I thought, what a nice guy. I'm going to go sit in on his Zoom. And he, at that time, shared a list of editors that he recommended. And that's where I started. I was like, I would hit him up with questions. And then I would look through his resources and find the editors and so forth that I needed. Um, as far as the graphic, um, the, 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 cover. the cover and so forth, um, I did utilize the services of two different designers when I first started. And then I was like, I think I can do this. And so, so I jumped in and again because, you know, um, my background made me comfortable doing that. And so I do my own covers. Um, learning the different platforms as far as where to put your work, how to get paid, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. It just takes time, really. I mean, all the information is there. But it just takes time to go through it and and find your way through it. Um, If you're doing in-person events, you know, how are you going to get paid? Do you want people to sign up for your newsletter? Um, Because you want to own your reader information. You don't want to depend on here's I'm going to get on my soapbox for two seconds. You don't want to depend on Facebook. You don't want to depend on Instagram. You don't want to depend on any of these other platforms to own your community. So um, as soon as you can find a way to communicate, whether it's through your podcast or through your YouTube channel or through a newsletter, but you need to make sure that you have a way to communicate with your readers outside of social media. And and so, yeah, make sure you build that in. Yeah. 
Well, and you and I can share that soapbox because we rent social media. We own our our blog, if you do it, our website, our newsletter, our YouTube channel, our podcast. We own those things. We rent social media. And we're as we're seeing now, if they change the algorithms, it can undermine all the work you've put into it. Or if something that um, happens to Twitter um, and you know, so many people built a platform on that, on there and you know and things go awry you lose that that community or parts of it and and that's that's not helpful so i i share the soapbox with you i I, you know um it's a lot of work but you need to find the channels that you own yes well said um and you do have a tech background uh which Mm -hmm. does help so you understand the when you're signing up for this platform, you need to click this or do this. But um, there's some really wonderful programs out there like Vellum for, for getting a book out or, or other programs that um, that can make it easier so, so that people need to do it well, but it's not, don't be too daunted. I mean, it's you need yeah. to have a plan, you need to do the rest of it, but it's not impossible. Do you agree <laughs> with that? I agree with that. I am a Scrivener. Mm. Okay. (laughs) And there are people on both sides of it. They hate it. Oh my gosh. How can you possibly, you know, and I'm like, I need, and I use a template within Scrivener because it gives me exactly where to drop those beats at what percentage of the story. And I love that. Like I can live inside of this program and, and, and be fine. I can build my worlds. I can build my characters. I can do all the things in this program. And that rests on my laptop. You know, this is where I can, I can get to it and, and, and it makes sense to me. And then I can, you know, compile it and drop it into word and put it wherever it needs to be. And at the end of the day, but there are, Lots of, you know, email marketing soft, um, you know, whether it's constant contact or MailChimp or whatever you choose, um, you find what what works for you. And if it doesn't work for you, then trade off with someone that it works for them, you know, yeah. or you somehow work together with someone else that can can provide that. I think the key is identifying what you need to do. And then what part of it you can tackle and what part you need to go out and, you know, find someone else to, to assist you. Yeah. But uh, but definitely, like, this is not the question, but just to say this, when Sync started doing those daily write-ins during Nano Month for those yeah. who, you know, number, I hit every 8 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 3 p.m. You know, I was there. And I, have to, I was at all four plus two other groups that were doing the write-ins. You will find people in those write-in communities in the chats who will share their knowledge at the drop of a hat. Like yes, they will put yes. you to the website and say, what you need is over here. Yeah. You know, so even though it's a write-in, you can find resources for, for any question that you have in those write-ins as well. Write-ins are top of mind with me right now because through Nano, we did have four write-ins a day for the entire month of November. Um, we usually have them twice a week, four times a day. But the folks who were doing them are are so hungry for more. We're adding Saturdays, two on Saturday mornings. 
um, through, you know, starting this week, um, moving forward. And, and it's all volunteer run. I mean, this is an amazing group of volunteers who do it. But for people who are feeling um, stuck, I don't know why it works to be sitting on a webinar with that you can't see anyone else except for the host. But that energy of writing with people is is so helpful. And maybe it's because at the end of the 25 minutes, you want to be able to post that you did something. <laughs> but it's so focusing. Don't, isn't it the oddest thing? It is. And I normally don't do a lot of those. It was just... I wanted to do it for the month of November and I was, I wanted to push through a lot of things. And I think it was something, this is going to sound a little, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to sound the way it sounds. The idea that you, you, you did something and then someone on the screen says, really, that's great, Julie. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. There's someone saying good for you. You did that. <laughs> you know, yeah. that in itself, because it can be so isolating, that in itself is like, yes, I did. You know, because typically when you're writing on your own, you don't stop and go like, I did a good thing and pat yourself on the shoulders. You just don't do that for yourself. But when you're in a group like that and you post, I did 300 words, I did 800 words. And someone says, I see you and you did well. Yes, yes. That so goes helpful. a long, long way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as writers, we need community. I mean, for the business advice that you've mentioned, but also just for um, the folks who understand what you're trying to do <laughs> um, yeah. and can support yeah. you. Yeah. So tell me what's next for you. What's next for me is um, a, a quick short, if I can shorten it, <laughs> for, the, for the next anthology. And I am going to dive into a suspense that... Dun, 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 has been sitting around for 20 years. Um, it's yeah. one of those manuscripts that I pulled out of a box and said, I think it's time. I think I have enough. I trust the, the strength of my own wings now. I think I can do yeah. this. And I put the first 10 pages in front of two crime fiction authors who write suspense, who uh, whose work I I respect and who I voice I trust. And I said, will you please read this and tell me what you think? <laughs> and tell me if this sounds like I'm going in the right direction. And I got such great feedback from them, SYNC members. And uh, <laughs> I was just like, oh boy, I can do this. And so that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. So I'm going to step out of cozy. Yeah. Yeah, next year it's coming. It's coming. It's percolating. It's been percolating for years. Well, that's exciting, and that also shows how you 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 know you strengthened your writing craft so that you're like, okay, I can. I now I know how to fix this book. <laughs> now I know what to do with this book. Yeah. Did you have to type it all back into Scribner? Was it literally in a box, or was it in a file somewhere? It was literally on paper because that computer. Which where it started had become so outdated that I moved into a laptop, which then died. You know, yeah. so all the, I have no digital, I have, and then life events. There were a lot of different life events that, yeah. that took out of it took it out of my hands for a while. But yeah, it literally was sitting in a box. And the what I love about it is. I still know where I was going with it, even though I yeah. didn't have 
or, you know, I didn't have any of those things. I didn't have, have any of the tools. I didn't know uh, a lot of what I know now, of course, but I can still see the bones of a really good story and I know where I was headed with it. Um, the feedback that I got on the first 10 pages was like an, was like a question that didn't connect in any way. And I'm like, oh, but now I have another idea that I can drop in here. Yeah. So this is going to be yummy. So one person called it twisted and delicious. And so that's what I'm calling it. (laughs) The twisted and delicious project. Um, And are you, I, I, this is a mechanics question, but, but do you find that typing it in is also bringing it back to your brain where you're, you're, you're sort of shaking it up and shaking the characters back out and you can edit as you're doing it, but, but it's, it's not a wasted thing to retype a manuscript. Right. I think, and the other thing about me is I do everything in, not everything. Whenever <laughs> I'm scribbling, everything is in pencil. I'm a pencil person. Yeah. And so I have a uh, uh, a list of what needs to happen and where it needs to happen. And I'll do that in pencil because I can scratch through and there's something about scratching it out on a piece of paper that makes it all more uh, interesting to me. For some reason, it feels more creative to me as I'm doing using my hand and scribbling things and crossing things out and all of that. And But I use Scrivener to place things where they belong. You know, mm-hmm. so I kind of use a blank page to throw ideas on a wall, <laughs> you know, and scribble them out and and figure out where th- what I want. And then I go into Scrivener like, OK, now let me plug these things in. So um, I think the other thing is I have a deeper understanding of humanity as well than from 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can put some more depth into the individuals. And I think that that was one of the things not to go off on a tangent, but one of the things where I was reading um, reviews of a different author who's very, very successful and I didn't like their books. And I was, I read the reviews because like, what did I miss? Because I really don't like this book mm-hmm. or the series. So what is, what is everyone else loving about it? And then after the first week, I started seeing all these reviews showing up from people that were saying everything that I was thinking. And one of the things was that all the characters were flat. Yeah. And I thought, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Know? Okay, Eureka. You know, so I think that 20 years later, I have a different understanding of, of human nature and relationships and things like that, that I can now pump into the story that I didn't have before. Well, 20 years later, too. I find I don't worry as much about offending people or, or you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I will, I will make a character awful. Like, you know, it's okay. I don't, I don't temper things. It's like, okay, yes. let's, let's yeah. go there because it's, you know, yeah. let's, let's do this. And I think for suspense, that's what you have to do. You have to be brave with those characters in those situations. Yes. That was the one of the first pieces of feedback that I got was, I'm not sure that I like this, this protagonist because she's very prickly and I want to know more. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. 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 So, yes. Yeah. yeah. There was, yeah. there was, there was that. 
the unlikable protagonist is fine as long as you let the reader know reasons why. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. take them yeah. on the journey of why she's like that. I mean, it, it's it's fine. <laughs> Not everyone has to be likable. Yeah. 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 And, and most people, if you scratch under the surface on, on their, you know, uh, Insta posts, you know, the, you know, the, when you take the ring light down, their life isn't that beautiful. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no filter in real life. <laughs> Would that there were. <laughs> Barbara, thank you so much for a great conversation that that touched on so many different topics. And um, thanks for being a member of Sisters in Crime. Well, thank you so much. It was a joy. And I love being part of SYNC. It means a lot to have this community. So I appreciate everything you guys do behind the scenes to make it happen for us. Oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, yeah. So happy writing and happy, happy twisted what what is your suspense? A twisted, <laughs> twisted and delicious suspense novel. We'll, we'll see hopefully in 2024. Thank you, Barbara. Very welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.